welcome to this week's flu-free episode of the Assembly Line, an NES homebrew podcast. I'm Kevin from K-Han Games. And I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And we're here uh, way quicker this time uh, to talk about homebrews. What have you been up to, Bo? Ah, uh, enjoying the new weather of northern Michigan, which is a lot of snow as I'm watching it. And I've uh, I've been enjoying the new weather of northern Florida, where it <laughs> snowed for like 45 seconds. You had like a dusting, right? Yeah, well, it, it was on my car, so it counts. <laughs> you can come up here anytime you want. <laughs> no, I'm good, at least for a little while. <laughs> well, what are we talking about this week, Kevin? Uh, this week, well, we've talked about, uh, in the past few episodes, different things to start the, uh, episodes. We've talked about, um, production questions and, you know, different things about, uh, just, you know, projects in general, but we haven't really touched on a lot to do with maybe programming or at least like abstract thoughts, uh, to do with programming. So I wanted to talk about maybe, um... When do you say you're like in the middle of a, a project and it's sort of like trudging along and you just can't seem to wrap it up and you have all these exciting ideas that you want to like try out for new projects? Like, how do you sort of juggle the desire to like start something new and exciting while knowing that you have to like finish out these projects that just won't seem to end? Ooh, this is very applicable for the both of us. <laughs> uh, well, what's, uh, I guess I know what like starting a new project is like for me, but what is starting a new project like for you? Uh, you can go feelings, practices, like notes, whatever. Uh, I guess it usually depends on the project, but usually for me, since I've in the past done a lot of ports, it will start with me just like coming across this old game that I love and that maybe. Maybe I think other people would enjoy on the NES, or maybe I don't think got enough exposure when it came out. And I'll sort of like toy with the thought of like, is is this doable? Like, would this game be doable on the NES as far as like graphic restrictions and number of screens and number of animations and that kind of thing? And then I'll sort of start, if if I think that it might be. I'll start like taking notes as far as like watching playthroughs on YouTube just to see, you know, to, but it's easier to watch someone do it while you take notes rather than try to play it yourself. For me, anyway, I know you like to play games as research, but I'll like take notes as far as how many screens and just start breaking things down into smaller, smaller and smaller chunks until I can really get to, you know, the details of if, if I can pull it off or not. So, like, what is that like, though, in terms of, like, feeling? Like, is this, like, over the course of, like, four hours or, like, four months? Like, is uh, it just this fast thing that you can't put down? Or is it this sort of, like, drawn-out, graceful planning that's boring? It Well, it depends on the amount of inspiration that strikes me. Like, I know when when we went to the Portland Retro Gaming Expo two years ago and I saw that someone had done Scramble on the uh, Atari 2600. I was like, you know, a light bulb went off. Oh, yes, I can do this. And I went home and I just did it. And that was just like knocking it out. But for like a larger project, um, I'd, I'd say the preparation is over the course of a couple weeks, maybe a month. But it really depends on the scope of the project and how motivated I am and how distracted I am with other stuff. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> this light, uh, lightning flash usually happens probably in the middle of a different project, I'm guessing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, <laughs> if, if, if you're anything like me or you, we're always, you know, kind of working on something. So, you know, when, when something new and shiny comes up, like the whole proposition of, of starting new and, and, and getting something else done is really exciting. Yeah, I, I really love those early phases of a project where it's just like epiphany after epiphany and they just hit you and like you can't stop them. And so like the more you play and the more you think about it, it just keeps spiraling out of control into this bigger and bigger thing and becomes uh, all consuming. Well, yeah, it is a lot more enjoyable at the beginning of a project because you haven't run into a lot of the technical challenges that you're going to face down the line. <laughs> oh, I like those. Those don't bother me. It's the... Uh... When is this ever going to end phase? Which I guess, uh, describe for me what finishing an old project is like for you. <laughs> Ooh, well, you, when I'm done with the game, and this is sort of, you know, when I'm done programming the game and it's sort of moving into beta testing territory, mm -hmm. at that point, I'm usually like, I've spent so much time building the game that I'm just sort of tired of it. And then the beta testing process you know, you, you put out a, a ROM and your testers come back with these issues and you're just like, are you kidding me? Like, I have to go back <laughs> into this game. I have to tweak these things. And some of them are like, can I even fix this? Like, they're just, it's stressful because you've put months and months into making the game. And then there's still all these, you know, game breaking bugs in there that you have to go back in after the fact. And at that, you know, when you're done, usually you're already like pushing the memory limit limits of the game itself. Like there's not a lot of room in there for like more code, but you have to go in there and fix stuff. So you just have to make it work and you have to start shuffling code around and it can turn into a mess, like a really, really big mess. Well, they always want more features too, which uh, leaves me kind of, so like with Spookatron and the final phases, I was still getting asked to like put new things in. <laughs> it was just like, man, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this right. anymore. And you, you can't be afraid to just say, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, I do. And I feel like a jerk. But uh, this time, this next time, I think I'm going to bring on some people like earlier for sort of like a focus group type thing. And not, not so much that because like I know what I want to do, but maybe they see something that I should be doing and I'm not. So we'll see. But then they, they get burnt out. And that's what end. I was going to say. It, it's a delicate balance between bringing people in too early to where they lose interest and then you're like begging them to test your game toward the end of it <laughs> or bring, well, that, you know, that's personal experience for me. Um, oh, same. <laughs> or like bringing them in too late and like, you know, rushing into these deadlines and not being able to finish things because there are more bugs than you expected and there always are. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's you have to sort of like strike gold as far as like bringing people in at the right time. Yeah, with Spookatron was weird because I had... Like, uh, Matt, he came on very first and like gave me some advice and then Tanya came on shortly after, but then the, the rest of them didn't come on until like three or four months later after I'd kind of worked out a lot of the bugs that they'd brought up and like implemented these features. And so like, it was finally like what I wanted it to be, but those early testers had dropped off and never did show up again. And then, uh, the last ones wanted new things and it was just like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. I remember, um, what, you were a beta tester in Larry, right? Do, like, do you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you cared for me during that. Well, uh, who's, who's to say I still don't know? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, like, do you recall toward the end of that project, like, it didn't, it, it's either that or study hall that I just couldn't get people to, like, play these builds toward the end of the 
the end of the, end of the cycle. Um, I played uh, Larry, I think, up through the end. It must have been study hall then. Like I wasn't you, a part of that one. You know how my memory is. It's 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 all a blur. So how long have you left a project before coming back to it? Uh considering I've only finished one game now. <laughs> well, I'm you have projects on the back burner, right? I mean you've you've touched well, on yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, but everything has been left behind, I guess, except uh except Spookatron. But uh Family Vacation is probably the big one that like so like I did the started that adventure port uh, way long ago, and then I did the um, Zelda likes. But all of that's kind of I don't know. It's not they weren't projects that I feel like might ever be returned to. They're sort of like that prehistory Genesis learning phase, yeah. and not like definite ones that it was like yes, I have a real plan, and this is actually going to get done. Right. So for those, I feel like Family Vacation is the first like project that I really announced and was really like, this is going to happen, and everybody wanted it to happen, and then I sort of disappeared with it. And that one I am currently returning to at the moment. So it's been, oh, I really hit that hard in 2015 and did a bunch of work over probably four or five months like i had most of the game done and then i ran into a couple issues and then life happened and sort of got on to other things but uh as a whole like that's two years ago i guess jeez mm-hmm. which is rough I'd, I'd i remember thinking i was like i'll be done by december of 2015 and now it's i guess december of 2017 now did you when you went back to the game you know after that long did you have to recode things or did you sort of go with what you had uh well since i haven't actually got back to it yet uh when i oh you okay i thought you said you had well, I guess I should clarify that. When when I say that I've gone back to it, I've gone back to it at the planning level and okay. not at the actual code level. So like I figured out a bunch of stuff that I want to do differently or how to do things I didn't know how to do back then. Or even like uh, I started doing art for it myself and then uh, some other stuff with another fellow that, uh, yeah, I guess we'll announce some other time. <laughs> but hypothetically, you think you're probably going to be changing some of the code you wrote back then yeah well i guess because i haven't gotten back to it yet i don't know like i'm tempted to keep it because like so much of the core engine was done but at the same time like i'm a completely different person than i was two years ago like i know so much more and i Mm -hmm. could probably write it so much better but i'm not really sure if i need to so it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting process once i do get back to it yeah now what about you You've done quite a few projects that you've left on the back burner for several years. Yeah, I definitely have you beat uh, as far <laughs> as the number of years that they have sat. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Unicorn was actually the second or third game that I started. Um, it might have been the one I started right after Frogger came out in, in 2009. Oh, jeez. Um, well, the uh, Retro Collect picked up the article on it in like 2013, and that was one of like my inspirations. And geez, it was four years old at that time. It looks like right. So yeah, I started that really early on. You know, still didn't know a whole lot as far as programming. I mean, I I was learning more every day, um, but that sat you know by the wayside for years as I 
you know, developed my ability to just program in general. Um, and just, you know, as more sort of easier things came along that I could tackle, um, to build up my knowledge core. But I think that I returned to that pretty hard. Um, I'd say early 2016. And so that, at that point, that was almost six years, you know, depending on when I actually started it. I'd like to go back and see when that original document was started on my computer. Oh, you should. I've seen that folder of your unfinished projects. Well, you cool. and a lot of people. Apparently, that's <laughs> circulating around without my without my knowledge or permission. Um, yeah, there's some embarrassing stuff on there that I. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. Hey, it is what it is. Work on the NES. It's just not that embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Um, but yeah, um, I know that with Larry, that went through a couple iterations as well. And when I finally went back to it for the final time. I rewrote everything. Like I just sort of started uh-huh. fresh um, because like, you know, you have to sort of make a decision when you start writing these subroutines as far as like, if you want to make one subroutine with like pointer tables to sort of handle all the screens, or do you want to make different subroutines for each different screen that is basically the same, but maybe handles things a little bit different. So it's, it's, it's just a, a point of like coming up with like how efficient do I want to make it and does it really matter in the end because you know as far as like gameplay wise someone probably won't notice a difference you know whether it's coded efficiently or not I mean of course if it's coded poorly they'll be able to see some bugs and you know some some stuff that isn't great like you know flicker between screens or you know basic stuff like that but uh overall um it is fun to go back and look at old code because <laughs> especially for someone who doesn't, I don't comment a lot of my stuff. Like I just sort no, of you don't. code it and move on. And you know, I'll, I'll know by what I name a subroutine sort of hopefully what its basic purpose is. And I can sort of figure it out from there. But uh, yeah, going back and look at old code is, is a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I learned uh, a lot of what I was doing from your, I think, original Larry routines. And then when I found out that you didn't use any of them in your final one, I was like, oh, what have I learned? <laughs> so what's, uh, what's still sitting on the back burner for like the things that you think you will get back to that are unfinished? Well, I mean, Unicorn is mostly done on my end. And I've said this a few times on here. I think we're still trying to work out the online logistics of the game. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there are some older projects that I'd like to return to maybe, but a lot of them were just sort of moments of, Oh man, like this would be fun. And then I'll like go for it for like a week or two. And then I'm like, eh, maybe probably won't really work as a full project. So I don't know. Disc golf. See, that's one of the ones that I'd like to do, uh-huh. but am I allowed to speak of that? Yeah, you are. Um, oh, okay. my biggest problem <laughs> with disc golf, and it's silly, I guess. Um, like when a disc hits a tree and bounces off of it, like the code to handle like the gravity and and the bouncing rotation and that kind of stuff, like that's sort of outside the scope of my brain. Like I just I can't oh. <laughs> comprehend how to write how to write that stuff. So. Um, I'd love to do it. You know, if someone, if someone who's listening is into disc golf and you'd like to sort of like push this project through with me, if you're good at math, um, hit me (laughs) up. We'll do this. Actually, your big one though, uh, for me at least that is unfinished is Gatsby. Yep. 
And that's another one that I sort of hit a brick wall with, and it has to do with math. I mean, um, if any of you have played that Flash game, you play, you don't play as... Which is Gatsby... The the Great Gatsby. Yeah, of course. Is that what it's called on the game? Oh, maybe it's just Gatsby. Who knows? Anyway, you don't play as Gatsby. You play as Nick Carraway, and he has a, a hat that he throws as a projectile and it sort of does this really cool loopy sort of i don't know path when you throw it and you know if it hits something it returns to you a certain way and if as it's returning to you if it jumps over to you if you jump over it it sort of loops around again i can't comprehend how to do that sort of pattern either so i've asked brian from retro usb to help me with it and he always says he will but i never i guess bug him enough to actually do it so if if i can get that figured out i think i could knock that game out too there's just there's things that i'm not quite smart enough to figure out and i hate it because i i don't like asking for help because i just sort of like to work on my own pace i feel like a failure when i ask for help oh man i ask for help all the time it's like i've never discovered google (laughs) well how do you even like type a question like that into google I don't know. Exactly. Hat, hat, return, routines. (laughs) What are the physics here? Right. That's exactly how I'd type it. (laughs) Anyway, are there any projects beside Family Vacation that you've started that you would Um, like to do? I have like three active projects right now, and one of them is the RPG that I started over the summer just with the battle routines. And it hasn't been enough time for me to have to like call it like a back burner project. It's still like active in my mind and it hasn't been like long enough that I've really forgotten it. So it's still still like an active one. And then pretty much everything before family vacation though, um they're just they're either just in the planning stages or I don't tend to write a lot of code unless I plan on really writing it out. Uh, mm-hmm. so like adventures sitting back there and ever since you brought it up last episode it's like well maybe i should get back to that <laughs> you know i th- i was stuck on like how to make uh for like the dragon to find his way to the room you're in and like for him to basically be off screen and i didn't understand that at the time but because brian had told me with spookatron like you can't just store enemies based on their sprite position. You actually have to like, you know, do some status updates and things like that. That way you can have things that are off screen. And it was like, boom, light bulb. That's what I couldn't figure out. Like, how do you have something off screen that's still active? And then actually playing the game that we will be reviewing in just a minute, they have some off screen enemies. And it was like, oh man, like I could do this. <laughs> but I still don't think I'll ever get back to it, but at least I could do one more piece of the puzzle for someday never. I'd like you to, because I never, I had an Atari growing up, but I never played that game. So I'd well, love to give I it a still chance. I played it, so <laughs> there's that. You can't reveal that as someone who's possibly doing a port. People won't take you seriously. I will say, if I ever do any ports, period, I have never actually played that game. Um, <laughs> so our desires to do ports are completely different. Like, I want to port things that I love and I want people to play on the NES. You port things you've never played. <laughs> well, I want to port things that I think are sort of, like, neat at one level or another. I don't know. It's a weird thing. But, like, how do you how do you think that they're neat? Like, how do you learn of how these games are if you've never played them? Do you like watch videos? Like, how did you learn about a potentially cool game? 
Well, even like, uh, so like Family Vacation is, it's not a port, it's like an adaptation of the Oregon Trail, but I really hadn't played the Oregon Trail since middle school, and I just used to shoot squirrels, and... (laughs) Hunting was the best part, (laughs) for sure. Even when I went to go back, like, to start it in the summer of 2015, I think I took like one or two looks at it, but I, I like I knew the basic concepts of what was going on. Yeah, and I just sort of applied those. Eh, same with Spookatron. Like I hadn't actually touched Robotron when I was already starting to program it in my head. It was just like you run and you shoot. Like let's build a game from that. So I don't know. I, I see different things about them. I I can see a screenshot of a game and be like, yes, I want to do something like that. Right. That's a, that's a really cool thought. Like I, I hear of you know, movies that are made that of like people that say they were not, not spiritual successors, but like someone saw something back in the day and they're, they never refreshed their memory on what that was, but they're yeah. just using the feelings and their thoughts of like what it, what they think that it was. And they're making something with those thoughts. And that's, that's a really cool way to do things. I think your mind can do like crazy things. And that's one of the reasons too, like as much as I like to research things, I will not actually touch the like central object of that research. Like I'll look into little like side pieces, but I won't actually go back and play the Oregon trail all the way through. Well, I could try and I've never beaten that game. So I I don't know. I'm terrible at it. That's one of the criteria for a family vacation. You have to be terrible at the Oregon trail. No, your whole family dies every time. Oh, (laughs) awesome. (laughs) I'm going to beat that game. Yeah. So do we want to move on to uh, talking about the game of the episode? And that would be what, sir? Haunted Halloween 85. HH 85, as she is also known. (laughs) Man, so I played this game when it was sort of debuted back in Portland, and I guess we can get into how it came out and sort of our personal exposure to it but i want to say that i've never given it a real a real serious attempt uh until we are preparing for this episode and man like it's good it's a lot of fun same like i i had sort of played it in portland and i've picked it up here and there for you know a few minutes at a time but for as many homebrew games as i have the podcast here is one of the reasons why i've actually gotten to go back and you know devote some solid time to them so this is sort of my first playthrough on it as well nice so when when you hear the words haunted halloween 85 tell me your initial thoughts that come to mind based on what i know about it or just the name just like just the name it's not i mean of course what you know about the game but like yeah when you hear haunted halloween 85 what do you think like i personally think hyped platformer like People, they have such a big fan base that they've developed with these Haunted Halloween games. And I I knew they had to be good because, like, for a game to sort of pick up that sort of following, it would have to be good on some level. Um, So it was really exciting to me personally to sort of rip into it and see firsthand, like, what all the fuss was about. I guess for me, the word that comes to mind is professional. Like... Mm. Everything I've seen of it, whether it's just how it's presented, where it's presented, uh, from what I see going on on the screen and like the way that I see people actually playing it, like professional licensed quality stuff. Like, And not only, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but not only is it like professional as far as like 
package, you know, the game and the way it looks, but like even their presentation, their booth presentation at these expos looks so professional. Like they're yeah, doing everything what I the right way. Oh, okay. I apologize then. No, no. Yeah. Like the, those booths are like, it's a show. Yeah. It really pulls people in with their big cardboard cutouts of the characters. They do a great job. Oh, there's usually like a sharp NES TV there if they can, giant screens. There's multiple people that have worked on the games, like out there talking with people, like shoving the controller in like kids' hands. Like they're out there really like selling this thing and they have every reason to because it just is a solid game. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of developers, they'll sort of push out game after game after game and every new expo, they're they're sort of pushing that new game. But with the Haunted Halloween games, they're such good games that they like that's always their focus when they go to these shows like come play Haunted Halloween because we put so much time into this game and it's such a good game that there's no reason to like rush to do another. I mean, they're they're doing full quiet, of course, which we talked about before, but like they wouldn't necessarily need to do that to keep people interested because these games are so good that they could continue to push them year after year. Well, and homebrew things are interesting, too, because you don't, there's no, like, channel in which everybody will see it at one time. So these people that see it at the next show didn't see it the one before. They weren't even there. And Mm -hmm. so it's, they're just catching more flies to the honey, I guess, over time. So let's back up a little bit. Yes. When the game first came out, sort of walk me through how you learned about the game, because I think we learned about it pretty much the same way. Um, but tell me how you learned about it, what you thought about what was going on, like sort of your thoughts in general about the history of, of you coming to know the Haunted Halloween game. So Haunted Halloween, I had heard like an inkling on Twitter that it existed. And this was like a week or two before the Portland Retro Gaming Expo in 2015. And we, I went, that was the first year that I went to the expo and was just like, sort of like shocked and awed. I got to meet all these people and like do all these things and like see things. But then there was this booth with these giant cardboard cutouts and a bunch of TVs and some, some guys hanging around it. And they had on display this sort of scrolling beat em up platformer that they were showing off that to me, like as somebody who was following everything that he possibly could just arrived out of the blue. Like I had no clue it existed other than some brief mentions on Twitter with no pictures. And that's what I was going to say. Like it, it's so hard, you know, as someone who tries their best to follow everything that's going on in the scene, for lack of a better word. (laughs) um, The fact that such a big polished game could come out and I have like no idea about it. Like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like, how is this game existing at this moment? And I had never heard, because this had to take a long time to develop. I mean, it's a scrolling platformer with multiple, multiple levels. The, those two things right there, scrolling and platformer, are enough to shock and awe most people. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's basically as hard as you can get as far as like programming for the NES. And they went right after it on their first project. Yeah. Like it it blew my mind that I didn't hear any rumblings of this game before it came out. So I want to talk about the gameplay first of all. And we had mentioned that it's, you know, sort of like a scrolling beat em up platformer. Um, The graphics are a little bit reminiscent of uh, River City Ransom, and we can get more into that, you know, a little later on. 
but it's the controls are really solid. There's lots of things to jump on. There's like you come across this sort of playground and you can like walk on this slide. Like it's really interesting to me because you can tell when you're playing a, a platformer, you know, with, with collision of different things that you can jump on, how well it's programmed. I guess you can you can tell the competency level of the programmer um, depending on the terrain and sort of how they handle the collision with the terrain. And I could tell right away. I was very impressed. Um, the guy who programmed it, you know, you and I both know him as Tepples. Um, he's pretty big in, in the NES community, but, but not knowing, like just going into the game, not knowing who programmed it, it feels very, very solid. It's, it's a really, really good game. Well, that was another thing too about this game sort of coming out of the blue is like they, I didn't know who programmed it for the longest time. And then once I found out, it was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, so the way the game works, uh, you're this new kid who's, I guess, moved into town recently, um, and you're trying to make your way to the school because if you don't go to class that day, you can't go to the dance, the Halloween dance after school, and there's a girl that you sort of made plans with to dance with, um, and like you have to get to school or other- otherwise you're not going to be able to dance with this chick. But on his way to school, he realizes very quickly um, that things are not what they seem. There's lots of creatures out and about, you know, trying to kill them. So you're just playing this beat em up of like killing these different enemies, trying to get to school, but you're like going through these different areas throughout town. Like there's a playground, there's a movie theater. Um, what are some of the other uh, places, Bo? Playground, movie theater. There's a woods, a cornfield, a cemetery, and then like your home street uh, is yeah, one of the yeah. levels as well. Yeah, it was really, and each area feels really unique, uh, and the graphics yeah. are very sort of, they're really good, and then in addition to them just looking good, there are little nuggets of, like, on the nose, like, you know, the logo, the little logo of the guy on the on a poster on the wall, or like... Oh, a lot of the background stuff. Yeah, yeah background graphics, yeah. Very really, really interesting. Fun. Mm-hmm. The treehouse, you see, like... Uh, nes club and like 2600 boys and yeah <laughs> i'm getting all those wrong but is equivalent thereof yep and so what, what do you think like uh i guess what's done well and what's done like what could have used some improvement would you say all right let's start with that first well as far as what could use improvement i th- i think that i'm nitpicking because you know the game is really really good and i'm not like my go-to genre is not platforming, so a lot of NES games might be like this, but what struck me really quickly on is it was really hard for me to discern like what could be jumped on and what couldn't be jumped on and because the the colors that they use, I mean the the atmosphere and the mood of the game is amazing. Like it really feels color-wise and graphics-wise, you know, like Halloween-themed, like a haunted sort of creepy game. But they use some colors on the background that I couldn't really tell, like, that I was supposed to be jumping on it. Um, and I, I've noticed that on some of the licensed games, so it might be just a thing that, like, I as a gamer need to get over because, you know, it's it's not my sort of go-to genre, like I said, so it might be common that a lot of games do that. But I just felt like it was confusing to me. Um, and then some things that you can jump on, if they were put in a different place, you couldn't jump on it. So it, there was just a couple areas that I got really confused and lost some lives on. Yeah, I would agree. And it's not just 
So like if you compare it to licensed platformers like Mega Man has everything is, you know, 16 by 16 blocks like you. Yeah. The whole world's built out of those blocks and Haunted has more of a it's sort of a Simpsons feel with like the larger structures. Mm-hmm. And it is somewhat difficult to see some of the things that you either need to jump on or need to avoid. Like uh, there's some broken glass that you don't realize you can't step or the ooze you can't step on. Until yeah, the ooze. You've already lost some hit points. And, you know, it, it's rough the first time you're playing through, but it's also stuff the second time and the third and fourth. You're like, oh, yeah, I need to avoid that. That's pretty obvious. Right. And it, it could be argued that that's just part of you know, sort of old school NES gameplay. Like you just, you need to learn the game to love the game. And that's not necessarily the case here, but I could see how that could be argued like as not a con. The only thing that threw me off with that was there were some items that I could not ever figure out how to reach. And I didn't know if it was because I wasn't seeing something that I was able to jump on or what the issue is. So I'm going to ask the guys in just a bit when we have them on what the case is with that. One thing that took me by surprise was how few enemy types there were uh, in the game. There really are. There's like five, right? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, five, including that little uh, wolf that jumps at you really quickly. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's rough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they they use the enemy types well, and they start sort of throwing them at you with different combinations to where you have to tackle the battles, you know, sort of uniquely in each each situation. But yeah, that is one thing that jumped out at me. It was a lot like the Mad Wizard in that regard, like so few enemy types, but you use them in such creative ways that you really don't notice. Yes. So the game just keeps playing well because of that. Mm-hmm. Now, the only other thing I noticed that like could have used a little bit of work, I thought at first was the the controls are kind of slippery. It's like you're you're on ice, but you know, by the end of the game, I was perfectly comfortable with it. And I didn't miss any jumps onto like platforms with pits. Like, so I really, it was a first impression that I needed to, I need to discard because it was right. pretty solid after that. I, I couldn't decide whether I wanted to use that as something I wasn't happy with or not, because it felt sometimes like I couldn't turn around quite quick enough. Yeah. Like if yeah. I was jumping over something and wanted to turn around really quickly to hit it, and then, you know, move out of the way or whatever. It just felt like it was maybe one or two frames too long before my character physically turned around. But again, that's just me being, that's me nitpicking. And, you know, when you learn the game, you'll learn to sort of play around that. Well, that was part of the, that is, I think, because of one of the features that they have in terms of multiple character actions, you can turn back and forth and punch really quick without actually moving in place. And so it comes in handy a few times when you have enemies coming at you the, like just with a slight delay from each side and you got to score a punch on one, jump to the other, score a punch on that one, just keep flicking back and forth, but not actually move off of like that pipe in the middle of the pit. So I think it was on purpose, uh, but it you do notice that delay when you're really trying to turn and like punch a boss that needs to yeah. be going down. Yeah. Um, and the last thing that I'll even mention, and it's again, it's just stupid nitpicking that I'm sure the developers want to punch me in the face at this point. Um, I felt like the story sort of went on, like there's a difference between like setting up the story and sort of letting you know exactly what's going on and like going into like verbose detail about it. I felt like there was a little bit too much text, um, at the beginning of the game. 
because like I just wanted to start, you know, beating the hell out of some monsters and like page after page of like setting up the story. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, let's go. See, I wouldn't know because I played the Japanese version that has the Japanese text in it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, there's, you know, I like listened to the music and like waited for like some of the images, but I was just sitting there like drinking tea and kind of uh, not being able to read anything. So I knew something was going on. So you didn't even know what you were doing, like what the purpose was. I, I could figure it out. Oh, okay. <laughs> More or less. Well, I... Let me talk about some things that I loved now. Yes, this is where um, I really like to spend the, the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I hate being negative because I do love the game. Well, um, man. It's, it's easy with this one, though, because any negativity was pretty much corrected in the sequel, Haunted Halloween 86, which we'll talk about some other time. But, like, they weren't things that the developers got defensive about or decided, like, weren't a big deal. Like, they actually took the time to make a better sequel based on the feedback so anyways uh, tell me some of the positives oh man like like i mentioned the different areas they looked so cool my favorite one and it's probably a lot of people's favorite one because it's so unique and i'd never seen it done before on the nes um the movie theater man Ah, like when you when you go in there and you're like your character goes behind the screen and like the gr- like visually it looks so freaking cool man like you're you see like an outline of yourself like beating up stuff oh man it's awesome it's a lot like in the simpsons where you flick on the 3d glasses and everything turns to just like black and one other color but yeah that that movie theater was just that was uh-huh. my favorite by far yeah and the the detail i don't know if you stopped to look at the posters oh i definitely stopped to look at the posters yeah that were advertised or you know the movies that were on the marquee of like what was playing like they took so much effort in like making it period specific like the posters even though they're really small and sort of broken down into like really abstract pixels like you can tell exactly what freaking movie it's uh, representing. It's oh, really cool. That, uh, that Empire Strikes Back one. Yeah. I think that was my the favorite one. one. Yeah, yeah, that thing was neat. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one that noticed those. Oh, man, it's awesome. Any of the more urban scenes like had that type of detail, like the school had the posters in the background and the treehouse and stuff like that. Yep. You don't see as much of that in the woods, of course, because, you know, trees and stuff. But uh, yeah, the, that the mall and the movie theater as a whole, like mm-hmm. just... Man, that was neat. Yeah, it's just, it's fun to play. Like, you just feel the joy when you're playing those areas. Like, a lot of games, like, when you're gaming, you're having fun because you're playing a game or whatever. But, like, this game, it brought a lot of, like, pure, like, joy. I felt like a child again playing this game. As silly as that sounds. It was an experience, not just a game. I the platforming action as a whole was pretty solid throughout like you know you're jumping on platforms you are punching bad guys and that's why it's sort of a scrolling beat em up and not just a platformers because most of the enemies took a couple hits and like they're coming onto the screen sort of uh you know uh what's it called double dragon or battletoad style where you know you're taking down the same enemy over over several yeah. hits or whatnot or and you're using different moves there were a bunch of different moves you could use and all of that sort of led to this diversity of challenges throughout the game. You weren't just doing the same thing over and over, and they weren't just trying to make things more and more impossible for you, but you were actually confronting different obstacles, even with the same enemies sometimes. 
And that's one thing I'd really like to commend them on. There were no moments in the game that felt like it was like a cheap death. Like Ninja Gaiden yeah. will throw <laughs> enemies at you that like it's impossible to dodge. There was never a moment playing this game that I felt I didn't know what to do or that like it wasn't insurmountable in some way. Like even the boss that I couldn't get past, um, I got I guess it was the second to last boss, the werewolf guy. Like I knew what to do. I just couldn't sort of pull it off. Um, and I really wanted to thank those guys for making a game that uh, wasn't didn't include any cheap deaths. Well, and with that, you learned certain strategies. If you did keep dying at the same spot over and over, chances are it's because you weren't doing something right. You were just doing the same dumb thing over and over. Right. And so I found that like at the, uh, I think the end of the sewer level, there's suddenly like six ghosts coming at you at once, but the exit's right there. If you just jump through to the exit, you don't have to yep. kill any of them. And I think there are actually signs up that say run or something like oh, that. Really? There are little, yeah, the little graphics, and it might have been Japanese in your version. But yeah, there were some places in the game on the background that f- physically was painted on the wall run. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I want to sit there and kill everything. I was like, no, I can't do this. So when I played through again this morning, because uh, I got stuck on that werewolf boss yesterday, but then was able to make it through through today and like i just took off and kept running for certain parts and didn't kill everything and it worked out much better uh, but i yeah. like that level like there was some strategy to it and you could actually mm-hmm. like get better at the game and the bosses i will say were all very unique oh yeah um and they all felt good um the the birds Ugh. i i had never seen a boss like that in a nintendo game before so it felt very fresh yeah, a lot of fun. Well, that's in the movie theater, too. Is that a reference to Hitchcock's Birds, you think? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Uh, we'll that's have to ask. probably we'll have to ask. the case, knowing Zach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, Zach is the artist. Um, uh, the one that I... Let's see, the Scarecrow one was good. Mm-hmm. I probably had the most trouble with the Scarecrow until I actually figured out what I needed to do. That was one of the weird ones. Where So, like... With the first boss, I, you know, tried really hard to, like, not get hit and this and that. And then eventually I just found a strategy where I could just blow through him in, you know, about five seconds. And the same with the second boss. But after the Scarecrow ones, they started to get a little harder. But with the Scarecrow one in particular, like, I, I think I just got lucky every time I played it. And oh, really? Somehow, like, I just powered through it and killed him. Um, yeah, I developed a strategy to where I was, like, dodging that bird I would like I jump between bird. the platforms, dodging that bird, and then I would like jump down and get a couple hits on the scarecrow and jump back up. I, I had a pretty cool technique. I don't know if it was the right way to do it, but I, I could do it without getting hit. Oh, I just used my fists of fury and beat that one. Uh, but <laughs> at the, by the time I got to the werewolf, I couldn't just do that anymore. Actually, the birds, you couldn't do that. And so yeah. it, was, it was nice because I wasn't able to just cheat anymore. <laughs> And so, yeah, the the game also sports a pretty impressive soundtrack, uh, I think. Oh, yeah. I liked it so much that I stole the musician and made him do the music for Scramble. Oh, you did? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. Human Thomas did the music on this one. He also did uh, the Holly Jolly NES mix, uh, the mm-hmm. Christmas cartridge last year. And yeah, he really yeah. took some time with the soundtrack. Every level has its own song. Uh, you can hear like sort of echoing riffs. That's why I, th- I thought the werewolf boss was the last one for the longest time because his music kind of plays on like the title screen and stuff. Uh, but he ended oh. up not being. Yeah, I could sort of like feel it. And I was like, I think I'm at the end because of that. <laughs> it's 
closer. But That's funny. Maybe you should be analyzing the music because uh, it sounds like you have a pretty good ear. I definitely should not be. I didn't even notice that. Uh, well, maybe I made it up then. You just never know. I was know. too busy getting my butt kicked. Yeah. Uh, there's <laughs> pause music. There's a bunch of sound effects. Like Just throughout the game, like they didn't cut any corners and like gave the game a full soundtrack in the process. Yeah, and I think they sort of wanted to showcase that. So that, uh, in the options screen, they actually put a, a sound test to where you can listen to all the music, you know, and actually relax and enjoy it yeah. without worrying about uh, getting killed. <laughs> well, I, I had to do some other things while I was playing. And so I didn't, I got sort of tired of the pause music and I would just make sure to kill all the enemies and leave the screen on like the main level music and then yeah. know, go do what I needed to for five or 10 minutes. And it, it never really got old. One thing that I noticed, um, you know, all the music during gameplay sort of has like a haunted dark feel to it. And of course, we'll, we'll play some examples here in a little bit. But the pause music was, it almost seemed happy. Like it, it had a completely different feel to it. <laughs> yeah, very upbeat. That's one of the neat things about the, the game as a whole is it wasn't just done by one person or two people or like a programmer than a musician and artist. It was actually done by five people uh, throughout the process or at least five main people and you had a programmer with teples as we mentioned thomas did the music zach did the art which we'll, we'll talk about in just a sec and then greg and tim the two guys who kind of put all this on they own a chain of uh, video game stores in the pittsburgh area and this was kind of like their dream to make a game and so they they did a lot of the planning i know greg did some of the art uh, some of the sprite art and they kind of made this game as a team, which is sort of unheard of in the homebrew community as a whole, uh, just because it takes so much work. Yeah, and they pulled it off beautifully. Well, it allowed for them to each focus on their specialty. So like Thomas only had to do music and he could take pretty much as much time as he wanted with all of it and make it a real complete soundtrack. And then, you know, Zach could take his time with the art, but then you had Tim and Greg sort of overseeing it to make sure that all the pieces fit together in a way that that worked. Did you have a, a favorite musical theme from any of the areas? I liked the mall the best. Um, the cinema yeah. in the mall, like I, something about it, it, it. A lot of it was probably just the level design as a whole, like worked with the music in such a way that it made it an instant favorite. But yeah, what about you? Uh, my favorite one is probably the cornfield, and that's the one that I'm going to play in a little bit. So as I mentioned, the art was done by a fellow named Zach. He sort of did most or all of the background art. And it was with all these guys, it was their first, except Teples, of course, uh, it was their first NES project. And so he had sort of had to learn the restrictions as he was doing it. And he created some really memorable scenes. I mean, outside of the the mall and the cinema there, the cornfield has some nice like shading and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and you see the sort of the, the sunset and the sky and like the game progressively gets closer to night. Uh, the early, it's not the cornfield. I think it's the woods that section before it's got the pinks and oranges. It looks like the Indiana license plate from the early nineties. <laughs> and it's just like the amber waves of gray one for my fellow Hoosiers. Um, but yeah, it was just pleasing to look at throughout and they did some neat things with the enemies like the bats are all black and they are often on an all black background and so they except for the eyes except for the eyes except when they're falling when they're falling you don't Uh see that and so they really like worked enemies into the backgrounds in a way that a lot of games don't 
I don't know. And they used a kind of an interesting perspective. A lot of it was set on sort of an isometric three quarters, but the main section was still all, you know, top or, you know, straight side scrolling side screen views. And not a lot of games do that. I know like Batman did some and then Simpsons, of course, but it's sort of a trickier style to work with because you have things like shading and whatnot. And and Zach did a really great job with, with all that. I can't even imagine how, overwhelming that had to be like to not only not know the system's limitations you know because it's your first project you're figuring things out as you're going and to have such a massive game to have to pull off and not only like make everything look good but make everything look like it you know belongs in the same world um they really knocked it out of the park and i i still can't really wrap my head around how they pulled it off because it was their first project. Like they didn't even know what they were doing and it, it turned out so good. Well, I know with a lot of it, uh, I, I, if I recall correctly, Zach had pitched a bunch of stuff or shown things, or he would come back with art and be like, okay, this is it. And then they would have to cut a bunch of it. And I'm sure they'll get into that shortly, but either cause he used too many tiles or the attributes weren't correct, but he just kept working with it and made this really pleasing looking game with a lot of atmosphere. Yeah, atmosphere is probably the main thing I think of when I think of this game. They did a heck of a job with that. Well, and if, if you want to see sort of how his style has developed, there's, of course, uh, Haunted Halloween 86, but in the woods level and the house level, or the street level at the end, I'm not quite sure what you call it, you can see a lot of like what he did on those levels in their new game, Full Quiet, like he just has perfected a lot of it and made it even nicer in ways. Yeah, I'm excited for that game. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's all set in the woods. It's all kind of horror-esque. It's you know, not horror, but a mystery. Yeah. And they do a lot of like creative things with how they do backgrounds. And it all stems from HH85. They definitely set a nice foundation to build upon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't ask for a more solid thing than 85. Like, it's just can only go up how you know how how much you know as a developer would you love to be able to create a property that's so good that you can like spawn sequels off of you know that people will <laughs> sort of eat them up like it's that's a dream ones that are actually worth spawning sequels for like <laughs> exactly beyond just like, like your own desire to make a sequel for something but like one that people are genuinely excited to like wait for and anticipate yeah and like i said they they have a fan base. Like they have people that follow what they do and give them feedback and just like, you know, they're involved in the whole process. Well, and they set themselves up for it well with the, you know, Haunted Halloween 1985 came out in 2015. So there was that 30 year difference. And then in 2016, you know, 86 came out. And so we were all, you know, sort of waiting for 87 to come out this year, but then they did full quiet instead, which is awesome. Like you got to get off that uh, path that you're on every now and again and try something new. Mm-hmm. But like the anticipation was there and was like, oh no, there's not going to be an HH87 this year. Like what's going on? <laughs> we're used to this. We want more. All right. So let's, uh, let's look at this overall, you know, sort of objectively. What do you think, w- would you say it's fun? Yes. And I don't like. Would you say it's a lot of fun? (laughs) I would say you know because they put in some different difficulty options, and it's not just like stupid hard the whole time. Like you can, if I can beat it, like that to me is an enjoyable experience, at least for me. 
Uh, probably maybe some people find that too easy, but then there's very hard, like the difficulty very hard that limits your number of hits and stuff like that. So I think it would actually be difficult to play. I mean, I played it at normal the first time and kind of got stuck. So I had to put on the little pink pants and play the easy mode today. But, um, I was going to ask you, is that what the difference between the difficulty levels is like the number of hits that you can take or the number of like continues? Like, do you know what it is? I I'm pretty sure it's the number of hits, uh, based off of, okay. cause when you're in the options screen and you flick between them, it has in parentheses a number. And I'm guessing that that is what, uh, what it, I don't think it's continues because you can actually get unlimited continues in the game by sort of farming the, uh, soda serum serum soda mm-hmm. soda serum yeah and so i th- and you're wearing the pink pants like in battle kid where you're wearing the pink armor and i think it's the number of hits okay if not i got through it and i took the normal number of hits so ha huh. <laughs> what about you did you enjoy it oh yeah man like 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 i mentioned i mean i i haven't had that much fun playing a game in a while it really did make me sort of feel giddy because there was this beautiful game that I got to experience. And, you know, a lot of the homebrews that come out, you know, some of mine are included in this, like they're fun, but they're like, they're just a small sort of, I don't want to say mini game, but there's not a lot of depth to the game itself. Um, but this game really brought it in spades as far as like atmosphere and just fun factor in general. Yeah, I had a really good time. I had a couple beers and just kicked back and and kicked some monsters' butts. Well, it really hit like licensed levels of depth in terms of the number of levels, the number of bosses, number number of enemies was probably the only thing that it was a little short on, but it never felt yeah. like it. So I'm not really going to hold that against it. But in comparison with other licensed games, I'd be about the only area. Yeah, um, it it felt like it had a good length um, yeah. to where if you really wanted to, you could sort of perfect the game and, and do like speed runs and things like that. So um, they really did a great job uh, in all aspects. Well, there's no password, so you do have to play it all in one sitting, but it's also the right length for that one sitting. Right. It's not too long to where it, it gets uncomfortable or you feel that like you have to push on to get through it or something like that. Yeah, but you're also not done in a half hour, so it's it's nice. <laughs> well, it's not too much longer than that, is it? Maybe, maybe twice that long? Um, I know. Ah, if you first time through, probably takes a couple hours. I think I beat it today in, or I think I beat it in about an hour and a half. But I'd already played. Okay. I'd already played up through the werewolf, and so like that part went much faster uh, when I finally was able to play the whole thing at once. And then probably half my time was spent on the last level and the last boss, just because I was being super careful with everything because i knew i was at the end and i didn't want to die basically yeah so the game itself came out you know in in portland in 2015 was that uh was that cartridge only do you know uh so in portland there was uh that was the year that they did sort of like the back to the future spoof and on the cartridge that they released, it had the little PRGE logo from that year, which was, you know, Marty McFly's uh, hazmat suit. Yeah. And so, and it said on there PRGE edition, and that was it. And there was not a whole lot of those made. I accidentally sent mine to somebody else because they know oh, they'd asked me to, um, you know, pick them up a copy if I could, when like I took, I texted them and they was like, this new game's out. And they were like, get, get me a copy. And so I, I picked up two and one of the other one that I picked up was called the first pressing 
and I sent him my nice rare uh, PRGE <laughs> special. So it took me a while to find another one of those. Um, oh, you got another one though? Oh yeah, yeah. I've got oh, I've got like five copies of this game at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those were the two at the show. Were the first pressing, which there was some more after the show that of that that existed that they didn't sell through, and then the the PRGE copy, and then after that came sort of the general release for, for the masses. And that was a gray or a green cartridge. And then they had so much demand for a box and manual that they had to start making those after the fact. <laughs> and then just this past year, due to the Haunted Halloween 86 Kickstarter, they'd promised sort of a Famicom edition. And they went back and did a Famicom edition of 85 as well with the full treatment, you know, Japanese text, it's on a, you know, Famicom cart, it uses INL's boards still like the others, but he designed a new board for use with them. And yeah, so there's, you know, there's four editions, there's a couple different variations on, you know, cart colors and stuff like that with the general one. But on the whole, it, you know, it's still available, you can still buy it, there's some stuff there for the collector, there's stuff for the gamer and if you speak Japanese, you can play that too. Do you buy it on their website? Like, where do you buy it? Oh, yeah. It's uh, available on Cash and Culture's website. That's the name of their, their stores in Pittsburgh. And you can also find on there the Chip Maestro, which was discontinued for a number of years. They sort of have helped get that back into production, which is a sort of a chip tune cartridge. It works with a MIDI keyboard and everything. And so, yeah, that was another thing. When they appeared in Portland in 2015, they had the Chip Meister thing. It was just like, who are you guys? How did you even know about this? <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about this music. Um, I mentioned that my favorite theme uh, in the game was the music that was uh, sort of playing during the cornfield level. And they did something that I like to do um especially when i started doing music but they sort of did it way way better um they they made this sort of grumbling industrial sound in one of the square channels it almost sounds like an old like nine inch nails song that the texture that they've made for this uh, this instrument it's really really low as far as like as far as the octave that it uses so it sounds really grumbling like an animal um so it Almost like an animal, yeah. I'm sure that they could use this sound for an animal sound uh, as far as the sound effect. But um, it starts out with this sort of really fast pattern in that little square channel. And then the melody starts in a really high octave in the triangle channel, um, which is really unique. And then they take the me the melody from the triangle, it moves to the square, and the triangle moves to like the harmony. It sort of all comes together um, but they do it in this really, really unique way that I want you guys to to listen. So let's uh, let's check out the music from the cornfield. And what I want to do as an added bonus, I want to use the boss music from the scarecrow, which is the boss from the cornfield level. They take the same theme and they sort of just change it a little bit. So it's this one continuous sort of uh, musical theme, for lack of a better word. So I want to play both of the songs, but I want to play them sort of one after another so they go together. So real quick, let's check out the cornfield uh, theme and then the cornfield boss, uh, the scarecrow theme.
so yeah, I, I'd never, I don't think we've done that on this, on this podcast yet, as far as like doing one song, you know, like multiple songs from a soundtrack, but I don't think that there have, there aren't many games that have put this much sort of overall thought into their soundtrack. I think maybe Battle Kid is on this level as far as like the musician took the time to like construct these themes. Oh, Lizard. The sort of, well, I haven't experienced that firsthand yet since the game's not out. But, uh, yeah, like, it's so cool the way, like, the theme from the level and the theme from the boss fight, it, like, it's the same melody, but it's sort of, like, it's layered on top of one another. It's just really cool. Um, so I really wanted to showcase that. So, uh, bravo, uh, Thomas, human Thomas. So, yeah, the music in the game is great, uh, but not as great as the people that made the game itself. So we decided to bring a couple of the dudes on from Retrotainment. Uh, we got Greg and we got Tim here. What's up, guys? Yes, sir. How you doing, guys? Hey, good to have you. And actually, this is your second time on, Greg, come to think of it. Yeah, correct. We had that uh, nice little chat. What was that? About two months ago, maybe. Yeah, when the full quiet Kickstarter was still going, which uh, yeah. ended pretty well, uh, correct? It definitely surpassed our expectations, so uh, we have no complaints. Um, I think, like we like we said there on the on the Kickstarter, that the Kickstarter community is a pretty fantastic thing, and um, we're just happy that we've been able to to utilize it and have a, a positive response. Excellent, excellent. All right, so Bo and I came up with some questions we want to ask you because we're talking about Haunted Halloween 85 on this episode, and we just wanted to sort of get some inside knowledge because uh, to both he and I, it sort of came out of nowhere, and we want some maybe uh, pre, I don't know, some information you know that we didn't know before we met you. Well, we always wanted to do an NES game, and uh, we weren't sure we could actually do it. So before we made any announcements or teased to it, we wanted to actually get into it and make sure we could do it before we actually let people know what we were doing. And uh, we're pretty happy how it came out, and we're glad that uh, you know it surprised people and that they actually took to it. And uh, we're very humbled by that. I think we're going to start as far back as we can here. Um, I want to know what both of your earliest uh, NES-related memories are. For me, I was late to the party, I guess. I got the what's it called like the darth vader model of the 2600 after the nes came out so it was it, it my earliest memories are all at my neighbor's house uh he got an nes and i spent as much time as i possibly could there i think that the first thing that that like truly truly captivated me on the nes was playing metroid and being in that world and that was like a whole new experience for me. Yeah, it's one of the most atmospheric ones out there. And uh, yeah, like Greg, I got to start with the uh, Atari 2600. I think it was probably the Christmas of 84. My sister and I got it. And, um, you know, Pac-Man, Demon Attack, things like that. And then a few years later, friends of mine started to get the NES and we started to play things like Baseball Stars and Tecmo Bowl, Wizards and Warriors, Double Dragon. And uh, at that point, you know, you get hooked and I actually had a Sega Master System, unlike Ugh. most kids. So I, I didn't have many kids to trade games with or, you know, so it was pretty tough. So I spent a lot of time at other people's houses and just playing as much as I, as I could. Did you play Baseball Stars a lot? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Greg and I, we've been a part of many tournaments and vi- many, many leagues of all yeah, of all I games that game. ever. That has to be the one that we've spent the most time on. Just playing tournaments over weekends, like drawing it up, sort of uh, like putting players, making them up on graph paper first, rolling dice to build their attributes, and then going in and playing the lovely ladies a million times to build up your bankroll, and then actually building the team that you made on paper. That would take us an entire day, and then we'd start a series. So you guys didn't use the cheat code, the down, right, left, down, down, right, up, to create the the super players? We wanted to be able to build like different caliber players and then do sort of like a draft. It yeah. was kind of like oh, okay. football or something, like or early stages of that. Plus to like keep nice. teams in check yeah. and make sure that we were we were starting all around the same spot. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times we've fought or screamed at each other <laughs> over that game. <laughs> so when did you guys actually like meet and start hanging out and playing games together and stuff like that? Well, I, pretty much third grade is when we met. And um, yeah, we actually got in trouble for trading baseball cards during class. And uh, <laughs> yeah, from there, it was just, you know, we just pretty much did tons of stuff together, played in bands, um, started businesses, yeah. and started making games. Yeah, so like you guys are run what three stores in the Pittsburgh area together, correct? Yep, yep. Um, Cash and Culture is the name of the stores. Uh, it's for us. It's it's just been sort of one continuous thing from our early days of just collecting and trading baseball cards and stuff like that, and it just we just kind of been parlaying that into more and more different things, and that kind of took us into the world of retail and and that's uh that's been our day job so where did retrotainment come from and sort of how did that come about retrotainment was a word that we are a term phrase whatever you call it um mashup that we had been throwing around for a while and we weren't quite sure what what to do with it um and then we kind of i guess we had we had talked about how awesome it would be to like make our own NES game, never thinking it was possible, and uh, one day stumbled upon <laughs> Nintendo Age, and and that was it. We were like, "Wow, this this is possible! Like this is this could be a reality if if we can learn all of this crazy stuff and and like s- set our minds to it and, and and try to do it." So you mentioned that you know when the two of you met was around third grade. Um, Zach, who does the graphics, when did you guys get up with him? I was a little bit later in the process. We had done, when we first started out, I guess we kind of assumed that we were just going to do everything ourselves, um, kind of, you know, kind of like you guys do. And that, then it, it just kind of got to the point where it was, you know, it's really difficult to learn all of this stuff. And, and as we were going along and working on graphics and, and working on music, you know, Tim was doing a lot of the, the music and sound effects and stuff. And I actually met Zach, I knew his brother, we were good friends and we started talking one day and he was like, you know, shit, yeah, I'd love to do this. And uh, he he took the graphics to a whole new level. Similar thing with Thomas. Um, I was actually friends with him, didn't realize that I was talking to the same person. We sort of were talking uh, online. I didn't realize that I knew him already and um, he just picked up Tracker learned it and from that point on tim and i were like wow these guys are are killing it you know let's just sort of divide all this stuff up and and try to all focus on one particular thing 
Okay, so you alluded to the fact that when you guys decided to make a game from the start, it was an NES game that you wanted to make. Was it was your idea as concrete of as knowing that you wanted it to be Halloween themed? Like what did that original idea look like? Well, I've always been obsessed with Halloween and trick-or-treating and growing up in the 80s and things like that. So it felt like a really natural point to start. Plus, when I was a kid, I always wanted to play a game that was Halloween themed based on, you know, trick-or-treating ghosts and goblins and things like that. So it was almost second nature to make this game, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. A lot a lot of the stuff, like he said, it was things that we sort of wanted to, to have back in the day. And... Um, yeah, like, you know, there's a lot of our local haunts that are actually in the game, the malls and the food court and, um, you know, playgrounds and schools. And there's just there's so much of what we grew up with that we've taken from to put in the game that a lot of people like on the Nintendo age might not know. But a lot of people around here in Pennsylvania, they actually see it and it's pretty cool for them to see it on screen. What is Conway Street? Uh, Conway Street is the street I grew up on. Wow. You know, in the mid to late 80s until the early 90s. Oh, nice. interesting. I saw it was very prominent in, in the home level, and I was like, that's got to be something. Yeah. As a, <laughs> a side note, Tim's team in Baseball Stars was always the Conway Crushers. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's an old thing there, that uh, Baseball yeah. Stars. <laughs> so you said that you stumbled upon Nintendo Age, and you sort of saw that people were making games for older systems, but what, what games did caught your attention, I guess, that, that caused you to realize that, you know, your vision could be achieved, if you recall. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I mean, we're talking homebrews here then, because that was the first thing that put the notion in our, in our heads that, that uh, us one or two or three people could collaborate and, and actually make a, a legit game. I would have to say that the first thing that I, the first thing that I actually saw was hacks of yeah. of other games and i was like that's odd like i wonder how people are doing this and then investigating that it led me to what really appealed to us was the homebrew stuff where i guess we saw the the bigger games that were out there the battle kids, yeah, battle kids. um frogger um mm. uh, the retro usb was one of the first sites we stumbled upon so we saw the stuff that was on that site yeah and then we saw that they were actually selling their games and there was like some sort of market that i didn't even know existed yeah, like that people were interested in this sort of thing the way that we were, that was completely foreign to us. Hmm. So did you guys have an idea of the limitations of the system ahead of time? Or did like as they popped up and like you got frustrated, did you ever get like the sinking feeling that maybe you weren't going to be able to pull it off? Um. So no, <laughs> we had no idea what the limitations were. We knew nothing. We're literally starting from zero. Like, uh, zero maybe less than zero we had never made any sort of game or anything like that so we had no clue we tried to put a lot in a lot and a lot came out and and like yeah just <laughs> towards the end it was like hack and slash no no on this no on this no on this and but a lot of that is is what led us to to doing 86 right afterwards because we were like okay we know the things that we wanted to do that we couldn't do so let's let's try to roll right into a sequel and and now we kind of have improve right yeah we we have a, a Be more efficient. like a uh, a foundation on how to even make a game so let's try to make a better one so you started with more like conceptual ideas of what you wanted and then sort of hit the realities as you went. Yeah, characters, settings, like Tim said, a, a lot of settings, you know, from, from our childhood growing up. Hmm. 
So what were your sort of favorite games growing up and what sort of influences fed more or less directly into 85? Well, I'd say for me personally, uh, Wizards and Warriors, Double Dragon, uh, like we had mentioned, Baseball Stars, but that was purely just being competitive and staying up late. You know, Super Mario's Mario Brothers was always pretty cool. I mean, that was a packing game, so everybody had it. But I would say Wizards and Warriors for sure, number one, Double Dragon, number two. Um, what do you think, Greg? Yeah, for me, I think, like I said, Metroid was huge. Just the way that the game made you feel, the environments, the sound, the, the footsteps, it was just something, there's something about it. And then beyond that, beyond the, the like competition games, Tech Mobile and, and uh, Baseball Stars and stuff, uh, thinking about more like single player games <clears throat> with, with a campaign would, I guess, um, Rygar was big for me. I, I Something about that game really appealed to me uh the and and that's as i tell people one of the biggest influences on 85 is is actually rygar trying to understand how they did like recoiling and Mm -hmm. how high donnie should jump and you know just simple things like that i was playing a lot of rygar at the time you guys clearly have a love of platformers because you you jumped into pretty much one of the hardest genres to begin doing this in like you you didn't mess around with like a little puzzle game or, or any uh, slower paced things, a scrolling platformer, there's very few in the homebrew community and you guys tackled it from, from day one. Uh, it seems like a daunting task to me. Well, I think we really didn't know what we were getting into. So we kind of, <laughs> oh. just, we just <laughs> yeah. went forward and, and uh, you know, with each hurdle, we just worked harder and harder. Ignorance is bliss, I guess. <laughs> right. So who did what? And the, the the retrotainment team was made up of uh, the two of you and then Zach doing art and Thomas doing music and then somebody else programming at different parts. How was sort of the division of labor? Like, what were your roles in that? Uh, well, yeah, pretty much like you said, those four and then Damien um, Teples or uh, Pino Batch online. He w- once he came on board, uh there was really there was no reason for us to even try to do any more of the code at that point. It was right. <laughs> I mean, you guys know him. Everybody out there knows what he's capable of, and I think that's one of the the big things that allowed us to to pull this off was, you know, how how good he is and um, how he's he's really easy to communicate with. And and I think that was another big thing is that uh, we just kind of were all able to communicate with each other and know sort of our roles, definitely some crossover, trying different things here and there. You know, like I said, Tim was trying, Tim was writing early sound effects, some of which made it into the game, but Thomas did the majority of it. Zach would do backgrounds and we would see them and say like, okay, let's put this thing over here, slide this around, you know, of course, let's go in and cut out 400 of these tiles because this isn't going to work like this, you know, things like that, where it was like, we all kind of had to bounce back and forth between some of the roles, but we knew generally what we were going to focus on. How did you initially get together with Tepples? That was through, um... There was a guy named David uh, that Two Coins Entertainment is uh, was involved in '85, and that so uh, originally I was working with a Hungarian programmer, and he was going to be the the programmer for this, and then he had like real world stuff come in come into play, and Great job. yeah, just it was going to push the timeline way 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 back, and that's when 
Tim and I were going to take it upon ourselves to learn how to code and going through nerdy nights and, you know, which was very rewarding. I don't regret any of that, even though at this point it doesn't really come into play like the, the coding side of it. But yeah, it was just, it was just one of those things where, uh, we, we're going to learn on our, we're going to do this on our own. And then we said, we, we really want to try to bring in a, a legit programmer and through two coins entertainment was Damien was working with them. And then that led him to, we, that, that allowed us to bring him into the fold. And from there it was just like, okay, Damien, you are, you're the man here. You do the code. Right. I mean, you guys went from like start to finish in like what, six months or something. Once Damien came on board and we had solidified our team, that was the that was like the last piece of the puzzle was was getting him involved because a lot of the stuff was laid out earlier for years. Tim and I had been talking about this right game. storyboarding, yeah, and enemies, all, all and sorts of animations, stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. And then we started that, like I said, feeling our, while doing our day job, we're trying to work through nerdy nights and like learn this stuff. And okay, you know what the hell is a name table and an attribute table? Like, what is all of this? So. <laughs> learning it and then realizing the limitations and then uh, working together, uh, Zach learning the, the, you know, the restrictions and how to kind of work with the, the different color palettes, sharing colors on color palettes to hide the grid, things that, that we weren't bringing to the table that in his uh, visually artistic mind, he saw that stuff right away. Uh, obviously, you've yeah, heard he the stuff that Thomas has done with Tracker. It's, it's insane. And he's been doing some jobs for some other guys too. Yeah, which is all great stuff. Uh, another thing we love about this community is that people people work together, that, and we think that that's fantastic. All right, so you've talked about you know how you guys got along pretty well, and you know the game was was pretty much finished in six months. So I imagine that was a pretty high intensity time period. Were there times that you wanted to punch each other in the face? Like, what was the worst fight that you had? And like, do you remember like what aspect of the game it had to do with? This is going to sound crazy, but we didn't fight at all. Yeah, I I don't. The only the hardest thing probably there was, was no time to fight. That's true. The hardest thing was eliminating <laughs> things at the end, but and we kind of knew. I think maybe because we had been talking about it for so long, we just kind of were like, okay, let's. It was always like the goal. Here's the goal. Whatever it takes to get it done. I mean, you guys showed up at Portland in 2015, still putting cartridges together. So, I mean, you were really pushing that. Well, yeah, and that was actually like the pre-release. We actually released it on Halloween 2015, which is the same day we opened a store, the same day I got engaged, and then we, we released a game on the same day. So that was really stressful for me. <laughs> yeah, we grabbed those I do things in batches shows. of three. <laughs> We like literally got the the materials for the stuff and drove to the airport. So it, it we had no time to do anything. Again, why we weren't making making a a big deal out of it online is because it was all so last minute. And like, or is this even going to work? We didn't know. We didn't even have a a test cartridge. You know, it was just like, and I couldn't even go to Portland right, because right. I had to man the store. Right. <laughs> so what was that like? You guys dropped basically a professional grade game into the community. Were people excited, critical? Were, how did you feel about the whole whole situation? Are you talking locally or online? Ah, go for both if you want. Well, locally, it went over very well. Obviously, there's not a lot of, at that point, actually, there wasn't a lot of people that were creating games in the Pittsburgh area. And, um, 
you know, our, a lot of our customers are our friends. So they were, they were seeing it in advance or, and playing it. And, you know, there's a lot of hotspots and a lot of locale in the game that people can, you know, check it out and be like, holy cow, you know, I went to that mall, you know, I battled those birds in the mall before it's crazy. So <laughs> it went over well, uh, locally. And I think online and, and through Nintendo age, I think it did. Okay. You know, we, we get some criticisms as always, but you know, that's art. That's just what happens. So is the game selling well in your stores? Uh, yes. Yeah. I would say it's around Halloween. It does really good. And throughout the year, then it's steady. Nice. The, our, our biggest uh, boon to sales is, is definitely, I mean, aside from like the initial push you get from like the Nintendo age and uh, nest dev communities right. is go into these conventions. And that's like our favorite part of it as well, because we get to meet uh, like cool people, try um, new stuff out and yeah, try, try new things and like get firsthand feedback about the game and, and see you know people's faces when they're like what you know what what is, what like is this what when you young kids don't even know what a nintendo is and they play the controller upside down <laughs> <laughs> that's the biggest boon sales wise and um and it's the the best part hands down i mean you guys don't like midwest is just it's just awesome what what has been some of the most difficult feedback you've received uh since it came out you know three years two years ago well, the funniest feedback I've ever received is when a guy came into the store and he told me, oh, I haven't played this since 1985. It sucked then and it sucks now. <laughs> and I laughed so hard. I felt so bad. I couldn't even... I couldn't even talk to him. Yeah, he didn't, know, he didn't know who we were. He didn't know that we made the game or anything. We just had it on display. And he was... 100% adamant that he had played the game before, that it, when he was a child, he remembered it clearly, and that it sucked. Man, what do you say to that? Oh, yeah, I laughed. It was the favorite part of my day, probably my whole month. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was good. so good. We like criticism. We don't care about that stuff. Well, that's the best. When you can get honest yep. feedback oh, from yeah. people that don't know you made the game, that's, that's the best. Hey, one question with 85, having played it now all the way through and, and all of that. Um, can you reach all the power-ups? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? Dang. Okay, I'm doing there's something a, wrong. There's then. a few things, um, maybe someone would call them glitches, that you might need to exploit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Huh. So what's the plan for the series going forward? You've, you've released 86. Um, is there... Do you guys have like a long-term plan of like you want to do X number and then sort of stop? Because I know like in TV series, a lot of the writers sometimes like to say, okay, we're going to do two more seasons to where they can sort of write their arcs and finish on their terms. Do you guys want to do a certain amount of sequels? Are you going to do more? Like what's the plan? Well, we don't, we don't see like a necessary end to the series. I, I guess that's not something that that we've really thought about doing, like just being like, okay, this is it. It's over because our ideas are, they we're, we're kind of wandering into some, some different ideas outside of just what you've seen in the game. So we definitely, uh, you know, we made 86. We for certain plan on making the third installment of the haunted series. And then depending on how some of our ideas pan out, um, we could take it in a few other directions. I mean, we're not, we're not like ruling anything out. It would be fantastic to be able to make a, a haunted game for a, a different console someday. You know, I, we don't know. It's just one of those things that like, 
we're feeling it out as we go. Do you guys think people would want more? Oh, well, yeah. I, I think Absolutely. Uh, what you've seen at shows and stuff like that, and just the response you guys have had uh, sort of answers that question for you. I mean, the they're high quality production grade games that are fun. Okay. Yeah, and it seems like you guys have a dedicated following, like from your Kickstarters. Like, it seems like you have a lot of repeat customers We're very that humble. are sort of outside. Yeah. It's outside the normal circle of people that, like, Bo and I would normally get. So I think you guys are doing something right. Yeah, I guess oh, something that's, very right. that's something that we don't get to see, I guess, is like, you know, who is buying other homebrew games you you know like i'm sure you guys have a following and and other brewers have a following like it's i guess we only what we get to see you twice a year and and there's only so much conversation we can have in that amount of time we don't get a chance to get into some of those things so we're kind of in the dark with a lot of that stuff as to like who a lot of these people are and how other people are doing in the the community and 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 things like that successful and you don't even know it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thanks. We can see that like there's an interest in it, but again, we're not like, we're not video game designers. We're not part of this industry. Um, like, like we don't have a lot of experience in it. So we don't necessarily know what's what and where we're going to go. We're just, like I said, we're just kind of feeling it out. And we bury our heads and just work, whether it's yeah, marketing or point. creating. Hmm. It seems like you your marketing campaign is is what's setting you guys apart from what I can tell. Oh, well, thank oh, you. Yeah. Thanks. That's a lot of what Tim does. And, and that's, you know, again, that's like something that where we kind of try to divide up what we do. Um, you know, he's responsible for a lot of that stuff. And, and I'm sure you guys know you see Tim and you know his humor and stuff like that. so where's the where's the dividing line between like what you do greg and what you do tim like how would you sort of define those roles greg's the foreman yeah i I guess as zach says the director um oh my god (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's like again we don't we don't really know what the proper titles are for the roles that we play we just we're just kind of like figuring out what we can do where our strengths and weaknesses are yeah and um yeah so i would say that i like okay my, my the primary uh thing that i do is the sprites the the sprite animations so like for full quiet here, this is another uh, step forward. I think that we can take is where um, in the past it's been like, I would design a character and then animate it. And that would be it. Or Tim would design a character and then together we would animate it. And that would be it. Now we want to design a character and then we can give it to Zach and he can put his twist on it. And then Thomas can see it and have suggestions for it. And then I can get it back and add more to the animation and we can kind of make uh more of like a, a a process out of it so we can sort of like build them and polish it yeah build right build and polish yeah okay and you do more of like the finances and promotion stuff right tim right and storyboarding and production and sourcing actually whatever needs done yeah and there's there's a lot of things that that are not part of the 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 direct development process where assembling games and things like that the people don't might not think of but it's it's a you, you guys know it's it's hugely time consuming <laughs> it's a daunting task yes. and like like you said like sourcing parts and things like that um and all the time we spend trying to to brainstorm and storyboard and and do preliminary work for things and some most of it doesn't make the games you know like i said early on for 85 um he he made 
music tracks and sound effects, uh, a lot of which didn't make the game. And I made uh, backgrounds, none of which made the game. So <laughs> it's there's just a lot of things that you know no no one's ever going to see that just kind of go into the whole process. When did so? When did you guys first start working on eighty five? I guess with all that stuff that you know the coding started in March or May, but when did the actual like beginning of the project begin? What two thousand twelve? Wow. Would, oh, wow. You're wow. talking about where we were like thinking about this stuff and like using graph paper. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that like that would have been when we first started thinking about, wow, a Nintendo game, this would be really cool to do. Uh, okay, what kind of Nintendo game would we want to make? And again, a lot of this is like on the weekends or whenever we can find time to even discuss these sorts of matters, like when we have a minute of downtime with, with the stores or something like that. But getting into the, like the real production side of it, I, I would say like 2014. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm always just curious with stuff like that. Cause these ideas sort of float around in your head and then that process to actuality takes a lot of time usually. Yeah, I exactly. And that's, that's definitely, definitely was the case for us. And like I said, it was very, very, very slow going. And then we brought on, Zach and and Thomas and Damien and that's when it just like clicked and then it was from from there on out we've just been plowing ahead. So how does the you guys switch to doing instead of doing eighty seven this year you did full quiet? How does sort of that sort of fit into your greater schemes and plans and all that? Well, we wanted to diversify, yeah, and we wanted to try some new things and let ourselves invent some things, I guess, or just think differently. Yeah, new new techniques. Some of the stuff that we tried to display on the Kickstarter, you know, uh, just some some different things that we want to try that don't fit necessarily in the Haunted series, as well as have time to to, to continue to brainstorm and storyboard about the next installment of Haunted because we definitely didn't want to just rush right, right into we weren't it yeah. like we did from from eighty five to eighty six. We knew the things we wanted to do, the upgrades we wanted to make, and to do the next installment, we kind of want to give it some time so we can we can think. Well, those are all the the hard questions we have. Um, so now I have a couple of questions that we ask everyone that we have I on can't here. Wait. And uh, Greg, <laughs> Greg, you might have already answered these when we had you on before. I don't remember. So I if you don't know, okay. Well, you can either one of you answer each question, or you can both answer each question. It doesn't matter to me. You can do whatever you want. Um, but first of all. What is your favorite homebrew of all time? Mine is definitely the incident, and I'm not kissing your ass. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, I'm on level like 67, and uh, I love every minute of it. <laughs> uh, I would have to say for me that I think a game that that I don't hear, hear a lot about is um, Nighttime Bastards, which I maybe I just like to kind of torture myself a little bit, but um, I, I've enjoyed a lot of elements of that. And then beyond that, I think that it's, it's the super bat puncher, like physics for me are the, the biggest part of all of this. And the, the physics in that game are just like off the charts. No arguments there. Yeah, that's that's one that'll definitely inspire you to make your own games. But Nighttime Bastards, really? I, I There's something about it. I can't get past like level two. I just get clobbered every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How far How far have you made it? Uh, I've probably only 
Oh, jeez. I don't even know. Actually, level two took me probably three days to get past of just going back Jeez. and trying it again and again and again. Yeah. I haven't made it that far. Um, I don't actually have that much time to play games. I wish I had more. But um, yeah, there's something about that game. Like I said, maybe I just like to kind of tor torture myself. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Huh. All right. So for the next question, you can answer either because of the games that they make or even personality. But who is your favorite home brewer of all time? Oh, wow. I know. These are hard <laughs> questions. I, he thinks these are easy. I think they're very difficult. See, this is going to sound, but from a game making, it's got to be you, Kevin. I listen to so many of these episodes and a lot of people say you, Kev. So congratulations. Well, I think they say that because I put them on the spot and they don't want to like hurt my feelings. No, I, I so. don't know. You do your research first and that's why you bring them on. I know how this works. <laughs> I bring on all the people I know <laughs> love me. Well, there is something to be said for the amount of games that you've put out and the quality of them. So as, as much as Tim might be blowing smoke, it, there's, there's without a doubt some legitimacy <laughs> to that because there's a, oh, good, I'm being honest. a good catalog of games there. I know you are. That's what frightens me. Well, I, I appreciate it. It does. It does mean a lot to me. Uh, we'll see you guys in Portland next year, I'm sure. But uh, is there anything else you guys want to say to the masses before we kick you out? Well, first, are you guys going to be at Midwest? No, I will be. Yeah. Nice. We'll see. Well, are you going to miss your flight again, Kevin? <laughs> I didn't miss my flight. It was canceled. Uh, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> oh my god! But are you coming, Kev? Uh, when is it? <laughs> April -ish. of next year. Uh, there's a probably a seventy percent chance. Yes. All right, let's kick that up a few. Seventy-one percent. My saddest, my saddest White Castle experience was sitting there getting the text from you that said you weren't going to make it. I'm just sitting there with Dude, little mini I was burgers. So angry. I yelled at so many Delta employees. Like I, I can't even. Um, I, I feel so bad. But like I just let them have it. You're like me with HP. I like it. <laughs> cool yeah well thanks again hey, thanks for, so much for having us on guys all right thanks guys man it was a lot of fun talking with those guys um but let's talk about us it's 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 enough about other guys let's talk about us we did that last episode that was that was too much about me i just couldn't do anymore you don't want to talk about you anymore yeah i don't know you have to be you have to have been doing something the past couple weeks. So tell me what the hell is going on with I'm you. I'm still building boxes and shelves and <laughs> crap like that. I don't think people realize how much time it takes to like physically build the game. Well, <laughs> the the hard part for me is that that sort of uh perfectionist vibe. So like you? No. <laughs> so like i put on i it's so much takes so much for me to like actually put something together and then i put it together and then all i see is flaws so like i put on all my labels today and then they all pop up and it's like son of a gun i'm gonna lose mm -hmm. it and like i put the boxes together and it's like well maybe that's just slightly out of square maybe i should take you know the hair dryer and undo the glue and redo it all and it's like no just stop like at a certain point this is done uh, and so it's it's been rough yeah my uh, my sort of QC level has come down as the years <laughs> have gone on. It's like when I first started, I was like, man, I don't want to send this box. There's a little scratch in it. And now it's like, yeah, who cares? 
you're getting what I have. They're handmade. Give me a break. Yeah. So well, sometimes it is. I mean, really, you, as long as your game is solid and it's all there, like you can only complain so yeah. much, I guess. But I'm still gonna try to make it perfect. No, no one's complained yet. You know, <laughs> at least to my face. So, so I'm good with I, it. I had like one or two uh, from like stuff that legitimately was bad, like the inside of the manual, like hadn't been printed correctly. And I didn't, you know, I didn't flip open 300 manuals and make sure that they were all perfect. So that, that happens. <laughs> yeah, I remember when uh, when I released the incident um, at that moment, I wasn't going through the manuals. I was just sort of pulling a manual and sticking it in the box. Um, and right in that first batch, I guess there were a couple manuals that either had duplicate pages or were missing pages or pages were stuck together. So like ever since that first batch, I have literally gone through every page of every game that I've sent out of the manual. And there hasn't been <laughs> another manual that's been messed up. Like I hate it. Well, I test all my cartridges in like three different systems and like make sure that like there's nothing going on with the games. I load up the test ROMs, everything like just obsessed about it. And then, of course, you get somebody immediately that puts it into a Retron 2 and is like, my game won't play. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I, I said it wouldn't work on clones, like, except good clones. People don't read. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it boils down to. Yeah, pretty much. Anyways, what have you been going on to? Show me some positives. Well, um, you know I'm a big point-and-click adventure game fan. I do know that. Do you? I'm sure everyone does <laughs> at this point. Um, but man, like those old Sierra games, I have such a fun time like going oh, back. Like Soft Talk or, or whatever? Soft Talk? The, the text-based porno? Oh, no. I n- <laughs> not that one? <laughs> no, not that one. Uh, I've actually never played that one because as far as I know, it's... It's literally the first Leisure Suit Larry game. Like that's he took the story from that and sort of expanded it and added graphics. Um, but no, a little bit later in Sierra's catalog. Um, right now I'm playing through Larry Three, just sort of having fun with that. But you know, ever since I started making games, there are certain games that I've sort of toyed with the idea of bringing over. You know, uh, if it's possible or if it's not possible, but just sort of games that are like capstones of the genre like the first monkey island the first space quest like are these games that i would be able to pull off i don't know but like years go by and like the desire is still there to like try so right now what i've uh started sort of working out in my head um is the first king's quest i've been working on notes of that game sort of like looking at the different screens seeing if it's doable seeing if i should do it like how i did larry where like a uses an item and b like interacts with the environment like storyline if i could do it that way or if i have to physically like put a cursor on the screen with you know the adjectives of like what to do like look at this like because depending on that, like you have to program it completely different ways. Yeah. Um. So I've been looking at the different screens of that game, but like, God, there are so many different screens. Um. Even if you look up like an overworld map of that game, there are still screens that aren't like shown on the map. Like you, when you go up the beanstalk to like fight, you know, to get the shield from the giant. Ah, like, I haven't played there it are yet. So many screens. Oh, spoiler <laughs> alert! I mean, it's what it's been out thirty freaking years. All right, like, all right. Come that's, on, that's on me. Um, but yeah, there are over 70 screens in that game. So I'm like trying to work out, like, even if I use compression with the graphics, like, is there enough space? And like, 
of course we always say like you know bigger mappers can be made with bigger chips but like they can how much would it cost to like make a a board that's going to support this much graphics so i'm trying to work it all out but i'm taking baby steps um but it is definitely one that i am working on right now and that i would like to see through to completion because i've wanted to do it for a few years and you know a lot of games that i have the desire to do like as time goes on that desire sort of fizzles out um but this one is staying strong and I'd like to do it. So we'll see. So you're in that fun first stage where you're still very excited and hasn't come down to yes. the scraping butter <laughs> on too much bread. Uh, end right. Phase. It's that period of time where like you, you like the girl and there's still the possibility of <laughs> she liking you back and she hasn't come to you yet and said, Hey creep, why are you following me around? So it's, it's still in that, uh, that beautiful, exciting phase. You'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> the restraining order is on the way. <laughs> well, I'd be a C and B in this case, but anyways, right. <laughs> so, what's been going on in the community? Well, I've gotten some emails. Oh, for what? Well, for a few things. A, a little game called Spookatron. Hmm? Um, so that one looks like it's shipping soon. I guess uh, we could talk to the developer about that to to get more details. I did send you an email. You were the only person that swore in his Kickstarter survey, too. Well, I gotta be unique, you know? I suppose. <laughs> um, but on top of Spookatron, I've gotten uh, the email from Lizard that that's uh, shipping soon. Lots of, lots of good games that I've been waiting on are finally coming out. Oh, Twin Dragons. Oh, yeah. Twin Dragons. Twin Dragons is shipping already. Like, that's like not quite as fast as Eskimo Bob, but pretty quick. Antoine and team have sort of gotten that finished, which is really exciting because they have tease that they have some other things in the works and i'm with the quality of twin dragons i'm really curious to see what those things will be so get this one out and let's get on to the next yeah when the when the campaign for twin dragons was out like i was in a spot financially where i couldn't decide if i had enough to pull the trigger so i did not back that one um so i am gonna have to pick that one up uh post campaign Ooh, i backed like three different versions just send me one (laughs) of yours then uh, I gotta send one to Matt. He <sighs> was supposed to give me money for that. He I hasn't. feel like I'm way more important than Matt. He's in a minimalist phase, so you might be able to get his copy. <laughs> I'll send him a text. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so in addition to those games that are shipping out, uh, and those games have sort of, the campaigns ended a while ago, um, there's a new NES game that uh, started a campaign uh, somewhat recently, and I think it's still going on. It's uh, Tower Defense 1990. It is still going on. It just cool. actually passed its funding marker like yesterday or the day before. Uh, awesome. It's got a, 11 days left, which by the time this gets out, that'll be like three days left. Uh, <laughs> so you, you <laughs> want to get on that quick, but it actually looks pretty decent. Like I, I don't play a lot of modern games and like tower defenses as a genre have sort of popped up with, with more of the mobile stuff and, something that's so people tell me i it's not a genre that i'm real familiar with like when i think strategy i think warcraft 2 starcraft and like it sort of stops there that's what i was about to say um starcraft 2 it was either starcraft 1 or starcraft 2 allowed you to create uh like mods on the game and a lot of people were making tower defense games you know with with the sort of game engine that they provided to you 
and that's a lot of the exposure I've had to, t- to tower defense was you know playing mods of other games that people sort really? of turned into tower defense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a genre that I'm not super familiar with, but uh, the exposure that I have had has been uh, positive. I I do like the the genre, so this will be fun to to watch um, now that it's actually you know going to come out now that it's succeeded in its campaign. Um, yeah, I can't wait to check this out. Man, one of like my first attempts ever to like make my own original games was with the StarCraft mods way back in like 98, uh, just nice. playing around with those, like building stories and stuff. But I, I never saw that people did tower defense stuff. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a video. You can check it out online, and it actually looks pretty decent. Like, I was kind of skeptical at first. Like, the graphics are simplistic, and like sometimes strategy games can take a long time. But like actually watching the gameplay was like this could be really fun. Like you you figure out how to play the game, and you go through it, and then you can build towers and defend tower defense. <laughs> there's several reward tiers. There's just you know the digital ROM, digital manual. There's a bear cartridge, a CIB, sort of a collector's gold cartridge, but I don't know if it's actually going to be gold. It's just not going to be gray. And then, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty, those are it. It's pretty basic in terms of the tiers, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, the, the guy just sort of came out of the blue and has this game that he's been working on. I guess he's been you know, trying to program for the NES for like six years and more power to him. Zai's doing the music. And that looks to be estimated shipping date of April 2018. So that's pretty fast. Not a, yeah, not a super long term, like wait years type of game. So that's exciting. Um, I'll be excited to see one if they meet that goal. Yeah, because <laughs> well, it's always yeah. fun to see which games do and which games don't. Because I mean, primarily they don't, and that's that's no sort of slant against anyone out there. It's just developing and releasing and shipping a game. Uh, it's never as quick as you think it's going to be. No, it's not. I, every time I say I'm done with a game, it's another freaking six months until I'm really done with the game. Because there's lots of uh, you know loose ends you got to tie it up. But um, after that, I'm I'm excited to see you know how it plays. I really want to sort of give it a try. It's weird that general shift in the community from like these kickstarters that like were projected to take several years to now these kickstarters that are projected to take several months and actually mean it yeah and that's when when i said i was going to do one for isolation i i don't want to do it until the game's done because i can't i don't think that i would feel good about just like taking people's money and i know a lot of people need that money to sort of live while they develop the game um and that's you know what they put all their focus into um but i i wouldn't be able to like live with myself knowing that I have all these people's money and now I have to finish this game and I have a deadline. That's just a high stress situation. And that's not how I'm, I'm not about that life. <laughs> well, with isolation, it's hard because the graphics are not you. And that's, you know, half the game is the graphics. And so mm-hmm. if, if something were to happen with that situation and you were just left high and dry with no graphics, like you'd be in a pickle and you would have already taken people's money. But the projects that have most of the assets figured out and stuff, it, it makes a little, you know, it's not quite as nerve wracking in my experience, right. but that's just me. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's working out for you, Bo. Well, we'll see. I gotta <laughs> I'm gonna make a lot of trips to the post office in the next couple of weeks. Speaking of Spookatron, though, are the uh, the adapters for the Super Nintendo controllers are those done? They are done and real. Uh, Sweet. Memblers built all those for me. We were trying to work out sort of like. A mass production thing, but it hasn't quite happened yet. So he actually built them all by hand. Wow. 
This would be the uh, same fellow that, you know, he built the garage cart and he has built your adapter with his own two hands. <laughs> uh, with Joe's, but just been great with those. And I think he, he has them all done. Uh, they haven't been received yet, but as soon as they do, I'll start shipping those out. And that to me, that's a big step in the community is that we'll now have this device that allows Super Nintendo controllers to be easily used on the NES. So like with the next pretty much every game that I'm doing is going to have Super Nintendo support if it, you know, if it warrants it. And most of them do because I like the X button for menus and I can't stand hitting start. You know, your thumb just has to travel so far. So I use X. Yeah, and, that's going to be real sweet for that RPG you're doing. Yeah, for well, for the RPG, but even for like family vacation, like I can build it in pretty quick. And then with family vacation, one of the mini games will be sort of a Spookatron, Robotron-esque game and instant support right there with the d-pad and the diamond where you'll be able to just play it and i think i might even like make that sort of an exclusive to you have to use the super nintendo or virtual boy controller and like the menu will detect it and then you'll only be able to play that game the mini game if you're using that controller because otherwise it Hmm. it really like takes away from the gameplay experience like hey go plug in controller number two now turn them on the side and like play it this way like (laughs) i just don't think that's going to work very well and with you know having these adapters out there makes stuff like that you know easily possible anyways that's enough speculation from me (laughs) what else has been going on though i believe you have made a calendar oh i have no i haven't it's not done yet but um the reception has been great uh we've gotten a lot of developers uh sending me messages trying to get on board um i think we have 10 uh 10 of the months are taken now so if any of you out there uh who haven't gotten in contact with me want to be on the calendar shoot me a message uh hopefully by the time this episode drops those slots will still be available um but i'm going to be designing and uh, sending this off to be printed uh, this next week. So um, don't dilly-dally. While you're listening, push pause, send me an email right now, um, and we'll get this going because uh, there's a lot of people that seem to be interested. And uh, I'm a little bit surprised because uh, past few years, there hasn't been super big demand. But hopefully, uh, I mean, it seems like the community is growing more and more every year. Oh, I'm excited to see some new things. That was one of my favorite things about the first year's calendar was I didn't know what was going to be in it when it showed up. And it was just like mm-hmm. neat thing after neat thing. <laughs> yeah, I like to, uh, I mean, it, it, it's kind of a spoiler since I'm the one making it, but <laughs> I don't like looking through the calendar until that month comes. And then I'll sort of pull it up and, and hang up the new month and see what games featured and get that enjoyment all over again. Cowlitz Gamer Second Adventure. Uh, was there a new batch of that that's come out? Yeah, so I got a message from John Hancock, the immortal John Hancock, the other day. <laughs> They'd released uh, the Cowlitz Gamer's Second Adventure at PRGE, and it sold out pretty much within the day. I know it's only a two-day show, but still within the day. And a uh, new batch is ready to go if, if anybody's interested and get, a, get in contact with him and get that while you can. I don't. I never know with his games how many copies he's going to do how many runs and so they're always high quality and they're always enjoyable so i mentioned before like there's many different ways into the homebrew community some people come into it with programming some people come into it with design and then have to learn programming usually Uh, some people are chiptune artists and music but artists are always kind of interesting to me because 
they pop into the community with sort of these fully realized conceptions of worlds and they always have someone to show like unlike programming where it's like i want to make this or design where i want to make this game or like i've done this code and it does these things like artists instantly can show you what they're thinking and so uh, somebody by the name of franken graphics has popped into the community recently and she's been around for sort of a while but uh sort of popped into nintendo age recently and then well i don't tend to go over to nestev too often although i should apparently because like this is awesome she's done some just amazing work with sort of a gothic tile set um has done some graphics for nathan talbert's thing that he's working on i want to say there's some been some other projects Uh, she has a blog online probably frankengraphics.com if you just sort of type that in it'll probably pop up but one of the coolest things that i've run across in the past week or so is something called project blue which she's also done the graphics for it's programmed by toggle switch uh, which i'm not sure who toggle switch is either and it's (laughs) it's coming out for the nest dev compo which is due at the end of 2018 but the game looks just awesome the hero sprites and the world and the the programmer has done all this stuff with like creating sort of a game editor so you can build your own levels it's it's a screen by screen game and it's one of those projects that to me is just like popped in out of the blue project blue and (laughs) i I couldn't resist and uh you, you just i wasn't expecting it and suddenly it looks like better than a licensed game and the gameplay looks to be solid and it's being done by a team just looks amazing absolutely yeah so i'm really i she hasn't been on my radar until recently so i'm really excited to see uh where she goes in the future and you know what projects she works on um because she is a true talent her blog is interesting because it sort of traces the development of like learning how to do things somewhat and just different things that she's worked on at different times as sort of works in progress or things to practice on so check it out and uh yeah, a very friendly person, easy to talk to online and involved in the community. And last but not least, um, something that's exciting for the both of us, I think. Um, as some of you probably know, um, there was a documentary that came out. Uh, was it last year? I think it was last year. The Maybe it was the year before. Time flying. or the actual no, when the, release? when the documentary actually released. It hasn't released. Well, I mean, in theaters. <laughs> oh, in theaters. Yeah. The, yes. the new 8-Bit Heroes released. Do you remember when that was? That would have been, I think, 2016. Okay. Yeah, that's that's my guess. That's anyway, we've been, we've been waiting for this. No. Yeah, 2016. You're right. We've been waiting for this uh, documentary to like release in, in a tangible way that we can sort of hold and show to people. So we were both sort of interviewed and we're in this documentary. We've, we've been waiting for it to come out. And finally, it's been announced that on January 1st, I think, um, of 2018, it will be available on Amazon. The Is it the streaming service that they offer uh, that it's going to be released on? It's not on VHS? It's not on VHS. You know me in technology. You can't ask me <laughs> if it's going to be available to stream. I don't know. Well, when he, he said Amazon, I'm assuming that that means that it's going to be available on the Amazon streaming service. Yeah, I guess they don't really do physical media, yeah. so that, that would make sense. But he also said that the Blu-rays are 
currently in production. So hopefully those will be shipping also. Um, if you were, you know, around back when that Kickstarter campaign, uh, was launched, um, back in, it feels like the, the ice ages at this point. It was so long ago. <laughs> that was like 20. Oh, that would have been like 2014, it's, 2015. It's been a while. I mean, I, th- I think the projected ship date was 2015. So it's been a while. Well, it's hard to like, it's, it's, it wasn't the film itself that has been the holdup. It's been finding distribution channels and oh, yeah. things like that that would get it the most sort of uh, distri- widespread distribution. Yeah, and I'm definitely not trying to put it down in any way because, as you know, Bo, I, I honestly love the documentary. I loved being a part of it. I love sort of watching it and seeing the people that I consider, you know, pretty good friends now. I mean, they're in there too, yeah. just sort of seeing them in their element and seeing someone talk about something that you and I are both so passionate about and bring it to sort of a wider audience. It's, 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 it's fun to be a part of, and I'm excited that more people are finally going to get to see it. So if you have Amazon prime um, and you have that uh, streaming service, definitely check that out. It's called the new eight bit heroes and it will be available January 1st. It's weird to me that like at the time it was all very current and it was all very like, uh, up to date with everything, but now a few years later, like a lot of those people that are in it are no longer active in the community, and there's a whole nother crowd that's that's in here that that's not part of it. And so hopefully, it still has appeal to them, and I, I think it will. I just there's so many more people I would love to see in it if it was done today. Yeah, for sure. Um, but the the friends that I have that you know aren't sort of active in the homebrew community and that have watched it. They have said to me that it is uh, one of the best documentaries they've seen because it's it's easy to watch a documentary of something that you yourself are passionate about, but it's harder to watch a documentary of a subject you're not familiar with and and truly sort of be engrossed in it. Um, and that see this this documentary in particular seems to uh, have that ability to draw people in that maybe don't know uh, much about NES games. So uh, I'm excited to to get some more feedback on it. Yeah, a large part of the documentary is Joe Granado the Fourth's uh, experiences making his own game, but then there are there's quite a bit with sort of the wider community as a whole in there. So it it works on two levels, and it's it's a solid piece. So definitely uh, check that out and uh, let us know what you think. Um, and if you're wondering how can you let me know what you think, you can write us always at our email address nesassemblyline at gmail.com if you have any questions we'll answer them on the air in the future i would also add if you have anything that you want to see covered please let us know yeah we're always looking for more ideas um it's not uncommon for bo to say hey what are we going to talk about next time? And I'm going to be like, I don't know. Um, so yeah, give us some <laughs> ideas. Um, and you can also find us on Twitter. I am at a ton of glaciers. Bo is at soul goose. You can tweet us there. Uh, you can find us on Nintendo age. We usually hang out in the brewery, which is a sub forum of Nintendo age d- dedicated to homebrew talk. Um, yeah. So check us out. Uh, we hope to hear from you in the future, um, but we're going to close this episode uh, with another th- uh, song from Haunted Halloween 85. Um, it is actually the mall theme. This is Bo's favorite uh, song in the game, and we wanted to This is of... because Kevin and I couldn't quite agree on which song should be showcased, but being the music master that he is, he chose the woods. 
Well, I mean, cornfield, cornfield. it's nice of us to to both sort of show off the songs that we sort of, you know, hey, resonated with us the most. Um, that mall theme is awesome. Yeah. And now you will be able to say the same thing in a two and a half minutes uh, when this song ends. So definitely check out uh, and enjoy the mall theme from Haunted Halloween 85. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs>